This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine being so outlandishly wealthy that you could purchase the Empire State Building just to add it to the list of properties you own. Or having so much money that, upon your death, you leave a $12 million trust fund for your dog. It all seems a bit unbelievable, but that kind of wealth was a reality for real estate tycoon Leona Helmsley. She amassed her fortune by working her way to the top of the New York real estate scene. Leona would stop at nothing to get what she wanted. She wasn't called the queen of mean for nothing. She tore apart marriages, threatened tenants and contractors, verbally abused her staff. With so much money and status, Leona Helmsley thought herself invincible. She even started to believe she was above the law. Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Sammy Nye. And I'm Vanessa Richardson. And you're listening to Female Criminals on the Parcast Network. This is our first episode on Leona Helmsley, a real estate magnate who climbed to the heights of New York City's elite before she was brought down for tax evasion in the 1980s. At ParCast, we're grateful for you, our listeners. You allow us to do what we love. Let us know how we're doing. Reach out on Facebook and Instagram, at ParCast, and Twitter, at ParCast Network. And if you enjoyed today's episode, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. It really does help us. We also now have merch. Head to ParCast.com slash merch for more information. Leona Helmsley was famous for her extravagance, ruthlessness, and above all else, her arrogance. She got her start in real estate in the 1940s when she was only 20 years old. By the 60s, she was one of the most powerful brokers in New York City. 
Her desire to rise to the top by any means necessary led Leona and her husband Harry to accumulate a net worth of over $5 billion at a time when the average family's annual income was $32,965. But you can't race to the top without cutting a few corners. This week, we'll talk about how Leona came to be known as New York's Queen of Mean. Next week, we'll discuss how Leona and Harry's business practices led to a federal investigation in the 1980s, landing Leona in prison. To understand Leona's obsession with money, image, and power, we must first examine her childhood. Leona Helmsley was born Leona Mindy Rosenthal on the 4th of July, 1920, in Marbletown, New York. As the fireworks lit up the sky and people gathered in the streets, Ida and Morris Rosenthal held their newly born third child. Their neighbors and friends were celebrating the country they loved, and they hoped America would give their daughter all the opportunities they'd never had. Ida and Morris were Jewish immigrants from Poland. They married before immigrating in hopes of a better, safer life. Morris kept his family fed, housed, and clothed by working as a hat maker in the small community of Marbletown. Ida stayed home with little Leona, making sure her daughter was happy and cared for. They were quiet, kind people who loved their neighbors and their little colonial-style home. Unfortunately, work as a hat maker in Marbletown quickly grew scarce. After all, there were only about 2,000 people living in the town at the time. Morris and Ida talked over the decision to move two hours south to New York City, where they would both have more opportunities for work. Before Leona's fifth birthday, they finally made the decision to move. They packed up their few belongings and relocated to an apartment in Brooklyn. The Brooklyn of the 1920s was different than the hipster haven it is today. It was an affordable neighborhood home to a friendly, eclectic group of people who commuted to the city for work. It was the perfect place for the Rosenthals to live. But the Rosenthals never quite felt at home in Brooklyn. Morris found it difficult to support his wife and three kids on a hat maker's income. It wasn't long before they were picking up and moving again. In fact, they moved six more times across the country by the time Leona entered high school in 1934. At that time, the Rosenthals returned to New York City and found an apartment in Manhattan. Leona enrolled in Abraham Lincoln High School, but she would never graduate. She had bigger plans for herself, and she didn't need a high school diploma to chase them. Vanessa's going to take over on the psychology here and throughout the episode. Please note, Vanessa is not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but she has done a lot of research for this show. Thanks, Sammy. A big part of understanding who Leona became is understanding how frequent moves affect children. According to a 2010 study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, children who endure multiple moves during their childhood are more likely to experience lower life satisfaction and have fewer quality social connections. In other words, children who move around a lot early in life are more likely to be unhappy and have fewer close friends. They may feel like they have no agency or control over their own lives. It's not unreasonable to assume that some of those children would try to find a way to counterbalance those feelings and seek out ways to reclaim their personal identities. 
Leona certainly tried. When she made the decision to drop out of high school before her senior year, she may have been trying to take back some of her personal power. It's worth noting that finishing high school wasn't nearly as important in the 1930s as it is today. Many jobs didn't require a high school education, especially in the manufacturing and domestic service industries, where the majority of women found work. Around this time, Leona also began experimenting with different names and personalities. She may not have felt like she had any control over where her family moved or where she went to school, but she could decide what she did and who she was as a person. Leona knew that anti-Semitism would work against her, so she dropped her last name Rosenthal. She experimented with a number of first names as well. Leona's frequent name changes are part of the reason we know so little about her early life. She tried going by Lee Roberts, Mindy Roberts, and Lenny Roberts, but none of those first names clicked with her. Finally, she settled on Leona Roberts. She felt her given first name sounded regal and thought she would face fewer challenges with a more Anglican-sounding last name. Not long after she left school in the mid-1930s, Leona went to work at a sewing factory to support herself. But she didn't last long in that job. She felt that the work was beneath her and that she was meant for greater things. Based on Leona's behavior throughout her life, it's possible she may have exhibited narcissistic personality disorder. According to the Mayo Clinic, this is a mental condition in which people have an inflated sense of their own importance, a deep need for excessive attention and admiration, troubled relationships, and a lack of empathy for others. A person with narcissistic personality disorder may be obsessed with fantasies involving social power and economic success. They may only form relationships with people they assume can help them achieve these goals. It's also important to note that behind the inflated sense of self that most people with narcissistic personality disorder display, there is an underlying fragility to their self-esteem. Leona may have developed the disorder in response to her modest upbringing and frequent moves. Leona's childhood made her the perfect candidate for emotional vulnerability. As she and her family bounced from town to town, it was likely difficult for the poor girl with immigrant parents to make friends, especially if her family didn't stay too long in one place. Perhaps this was the root of Leona's intense need for social approval and her obsession with having a lifestyle that would make others envious. Whatever the reasoning, Leona was going to stop at nothing to achieve what she wanted. Shortly after she left the sewing factory, she was hired on as a realtor with a local firm. In this role, she thrived. The years she spent trying to make new friends as she moved around taught her how to win over strangers. However, Leona struggled to form genuine emotional attachments to people in her life. Instead, she viewed every relationship as temporary and focused on what she could get out of her connections with others. But it was that exact mindset that made her so good at real estate. She knew what she wanted. She knew what people wanted to hear to close the deal. And she didn't allow emotions to waste any time. She was only a teenage girl, but her work was on par with any of the firm's older male realtors. While she was climbing the ranks in the real estate firm, Leona met Leo Panzerer, a hotshot attorney who was 10 years Leona's senior, she allowed herself to be courted by him, and they were married in 1940, when Leona was 20 years old. 
Married life didn't slow her down any. While many women were working to help support their families during the Great Depression, it was still assumed that the man was the breadwinner of the family. It was unusual for a married woman to pursue a career with the same dedication as a man would. It was even more unique for a woman to work in a male-dominated field such as real estate, but never one to be deterred because of societal norms. Leona worked even harder than most of the men at her firm. Her dedication made her popular and respected within the company. To cope with the stress of balancing her heavy workload with her role as a wife, Leona started smoking heavily. Her habit quickly progressed, and soon, she was blowing through multiple packs of cigarettes a day. It was an addiction her husband begged her to give up, especially after their son, Jay, was born November 8, 1941. But Leona had always had a mind of her own. Even with a newborn son in her life, she continued smoking and working through every day. Most days, she left the house before her husband in the morning and came home after him at night. It was a constant source of strain in their marriage, as Panzerer had hoped Leona would take some time off work to raise their family. Instead, Jay was often left in the care of a nanny or looked after by Leona's mother. Right from the beginning, Leona's relationship with her son Jay was further evidence that she struggled to form emotional bonds with people. She saw motherhood as a chore, something she had to do, not something she wanted to do. Her career, on the other hand, was something she truly wanted to invest time and energy into. Her career was also something she was very good at. Through her years at the real estate firm, Leona learned what made people tick, what really made them decide to close a sale. And the more sales she made, the better clientele she was given. By the time she was in her mid-20s, she was handling some of the firm's top sales. This meant Leona got a first-hand look at what life was like for New York's obscenely wealthy. Her family had never kept many personal possessions due to their frequent moves. But some of her richer clients had so many things, they could barely fit them all inside the luxury properties she was selling them. She saw how easy it was for people with money to get what they wanted. She was working around the clock to move up the company ladder. But these people barely had to put forth any effort to maintain their fortunes. It was her first taste of the elite life, and Leona wanted more. By the late 1940s, after about a decade of work, Leona had climbed her way to the top. She was promoted to vice president of the real estate firm. She was only in her late 20s, and she had surpassed men twice her age. The elite lifestyle she desperately craved was just within her reach. But there was one person holding her back, her husband, Leo. Coming up, we'll take a look at how Leona's ambition led to disaster within her family. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, back to the story. In the late 1940s, Leona Roberts became the vice president of her real estate firm in New York City. She hadn't yet reached her 30th birthday, and she was well on her way to becoming one of the city's elite. As Leona became more successful, she began to see her husband, Leo, as dead weight. He was a respected lawyer, but in Leona's eyes, he hadn't advanced far enough in his career, and he wasn't making the kind of money she expected of him. Their relationship began to sour. Leona threw herself even deeper into her work, staying long hours at her office or attending parties with her coworkers to avoid going home to her family. By 1952, the couple had had enough of each other. They divorced, agreeing to split time with 12-year-old Jay evenly. It didn't take Leona long to find a new husband. Pretty soon, she met Joseph Lubin, a prominent garment industry executive in Manhattan. He would make a great match for the lifestyle Leona hoped to build. Leona charmed Lubin quickly, and the couple was married in 1953, less than a year after her first divorce. She was 33. The next decade of Leona's life is somewhat of a mystery. Later in life, after she amassed her fortune, she refused to talk about these years at all. They apparently didn't fit into the carefully crafted narrative she'd created of her own life. Leona frequently changed her backstory. Sometimes she even wrote her marriage, divorce, and remarriage to Joseph Lubin out of her story altogether. All we know is that through the 1950s and 60s, Leona continued to build herself up in the real estate world. She divorced Lubin, then remarried him, then left him for the second time to focus on her career. By the late 1960s, as Leona reached her late 40s, she was more successful than ever. All of her listings were high-end urban condominiums, as opposed to the more modest apartments and properties she was previously assigned. Thanks to her upscale clientele, she was moving in prominent social circles around the city. It was through these social circles that Leona met 59-year-old Harry Helmsley, a real estate tycoon in his own right. Like Leona, Harry was also a high school dropout. He had worked his way up the real estate ladder, from low-paid office boy to one of the country's wealthiest men. At 29 years old, Helmsley had used his last $1,000 to purchase and renovate his first building, which he sold just a few years later for roughly $66,000. He became so successful at real estate that he eventually purchased Dwight, Voorhees, and Perry, the firm where he'd once worked as an office boy. In 1949, under Harry Helmsley's leadership, that firm, now called Dwight, Voorhees, and Helmsley, purchased the Toy Center, the Gray Bar Building, and the St. Moritz Hotel. In 1961, he and his business partners purchased the Empire State Building for $65 million, worth about $550 million today. This was the highest price that had ever been paid for a single building. 
Suffice to say, Harry Helmsley had a reputation as one of New York's most influential real estate dealers. That reputation, and his newly established status as a billionaire, may have been what drew Leona to him in the first place. When the pair met in 1968, Leona was already a millionaire of her own making. Her time as a high-end real estate broker had afforded her a decent lifestyle, but she could sense that a marriage to Harry would really shoot her up the ranks of New York society. After their first meeting, Leona made an effort to stay in contact with Harry, but she played out her strategy carefully. She knew Harry was already married to a wife of more than 30 years, so she worked her way into his social life through business. Harry was eager to bring Leona onto his team at one of his several real estate firms, Brown Harris Stevens. After all, she was well known for being one of the most talented brokers in the city. And once she was hired, Leona proved that she didn't intend to give that reputation up. Her business savvy and skill with the clients impressed Harry and the other senior members at the firm. By 1970, Leona's persistence and hard work earned her the position of senior vice president at Brown Harris Stevens. Per Leona's advice, Harry continued to amass properties across Manhattan, including the Lincoln Building and Flatiron Buildings. She wanted to make sure his personal fortune grew as much as possible, and not just out of friendly consideration. Shortly after her promotion, Harry and Leona began an affair. Harry purchased her an impressive apartment in the upper-class Chelsea neighborhood, where the average cost of a unit was half a million dollars, over $3.2 million today. Harry would meet Leona there on a regular basis. Harry's wife, Eve, was fully aware of the affair. He fully disclosed the whole situation to her, and they spoke daily about Harry's meetings with Leona. Still, every night, Harry came home to Eve, so she was fine with the arrangement. But Leona didn't like sharing. She began pressuring Harry to leave his wife and marry her. So, later, in 1970, Harry finally asked his wife for a divorce. Eve asked Harry why they needed to divorce so suddenly, and Harry said it was because another man was trying to win Leona's affections. Leona had told him that she'd received a letter with a diamond ring and a marriage proposal, and she only had 10 days to make up her mind. Harry needed to hurry and propose to Leona before he lost her. Eve was heartbroken, but even more, she was concerned that Leona was swindling her husband into a hasty decision. But if Harry wanted to leave, she wasn't going to stop him. For a while, even Harry had daily discussions about whether or not divorce was the right move. Several people close to Harry shared Eve's concerns that Leona was psychologically manipulating him into marriage. In all likelihood, the supposed letter from Leona's mysterious suitor was a manipulation tactic. According to Dr. Preston Nee, two common traits of psychological manipulators are the use of negative surprises and asking for decisions in an unreasonable amount of time. Nee defines negative surprises as unexpected negative information that comes without warning. This tactic is typically meant to throw the person being manipulated off their guard and give power back to the manipulator. In Leona's case, she used the surprise of the proposal letter to exert control over the relationship and put Harry on the defensive. The other tactic, 
asking people to make decisions in an unreasonable amount of time, is meant to apply tension to a situation. The goal is for the manipulator to get his or her victim to crack under pressure and agree to what the manipulator wants. Leona employed this tactic by telling Harry she had a 10-day time frame to make a decision on the other proposal. Harry, then, only had 10 days to decide if he was going to leave his wife or not. Ultimately, Eve saw how stressed her husband was about the situation and agreed to the divorce. Leona's plan had worked. On April 8, 1972, Harry and Leona Helmsley were married. Leona was now truly one of New York's elite. She might have hoped this would open new doors for her in the real estate world. But shortly after their marriage, Leona's career hit a roadblock. One of Harry's residential properties was being converted into condos, and Leona took it upon herself to deal with the building's current tenants. She presented them with two options, either buy into the condos or she would buy their units from underneath them. The residents had signed long-term leases, some as long as three years, and they legally didn't have to submit to this ultimatum. But Leona wanted to move forward with the construction, and she wanted to do it now. Many of the tenants claimed that Leona verbally abused them until they gave in. However, several tenants refused to be bullied and filed a lawsuit against Leona. In the end, Leona was forced to compensate the tenants by covering their three-year leases. Her real estate license was suspended. Without her real estate license, Leona turned her attention to another venture, Harry's burgeoning hotel business. It was her goal to expand the business further by opening a new hotel and making it one of the city's finest. Construction took place throughout the 1970s. Leona oversaw most of the major decision-making on the hotel as Harry handled the real estate side of their business. When Leona was finally satisfied with the building, it was 51 stories tall and had over 1,000 rooms. The Helmsley Palace Hotel was set to open on September 15, 1980. But before the grand opening, Leona and her marketing team launched an ad campaign to show off the new hotel's high-class accommodations. But it was what happened behind the scenes of the ad campaign that really caught the public's attention. When we come back, we'll explore the incidents that led to Leona's reputation as the Queen of Mean. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Now, back to the story. 
Before the grand opening of the Helmsley Palace Hotel in 1980, Leona Helmsley prepared an ad campaign to get the public's attention. She forced the team involved with the campaign to work from 8 in the morning until well past normal working hours, often 10 or more hours a day. She also demanded that Norman Parkinson, the photographer for the British royal family, shoot the photos for the spread. The signature line for the ad campaign was, It's the only palace in the world where the queen stands guard. The queen in the photos, of course, was Leona herself. She believed that by making herself the face of Helmsley Hotels, she would increase both her personal brand and the value of the hotel empire. When Parkinson and his crew arrived for the photo shoot, Leona made them wait as she changed into a number of evening gowns and did different poses in front of a green screen in her penthouse. Rather than shooting on location, she tasked the campaign manager with altering the green screen into backdrops of her various hotel properties. No easy task in 1980. For the whole creative team's dedicated work, Leona was only willing to pay $10,000, about $30,000 today, a sum that barely covered the fees for the campaign's art director, according to Adweek. We can presume they didn't know what they'd be getting into when they agreed to work for such a small figure. But the ad campaign worked. By the time the Helmsley Palace Hotel opened in September, Leona was notorious throughout the city and across the country, both for her glamorous image and for the commotion she caused behind the scenes. Leona was a celebrity long before other hotel magnates like Donald Trump or Paris Hilton. In fact, the tabloids of the time weren't shy of speculating about the Trump family's jealousy of the Helmsley success. The New York Post even quoted Donald Trump calling her a disgrace to humanity and saying, quote, when God created Leona, the world received no favors, end quote. The animosity between the two tycoons seems to have stemmed from a dispute over a piece of property in Atlantic City. There was one small parcel of land owned by the Helmsleys in the middle of an area owned by Trump. And for no reason other than spite, Leona refused to sell it. The routine land dispute blossomed into a feud that played out across the pages of Gossip Rags, the New York Times, and newspapers as far off as the Washington Post and the LA Times. At one high society party in the 80s, Trump poured an entire bottle of red wine into the hood of Leona's coat. A few years later, Leona told Playboy, quote, the nerve of this SOB, the skunk. I wouldn't believe Donald Trump if his tongue was notarized, end quote. Leona didn't care if people liked her, as long as they were paying attention to her. Leona had always bordered on vanity, but now that she was no longer a realtor, her public image was the product she focused on selling. Consumer scientists Jane Workman and Seung Hee Lee split vanity into two categories— vanity of physical appearance, and vanity of the achievement of success. Leona's desire to be seen as part of the social elite puts her into the achievement of success division. It was power, not beauty, she was obsessed with. She cared about her appearance only insofar as it was a reflection of her status and accomplishments. Because of that vanity, she pursued personal success mercilessly. Following the ad campaign, Leona developed a reputation as the Queen of Mean. She was known for shouting at employees on a whim, 
firing people without cause and humiliating the workers beneath her. Her former employees stated that she would hold spur-of-the-moment staff meetings where she would pick someone to shout at, just to belittle them in front of their peers. She frequently used racial slurs, made homophobic comments, and attacked people's physical appearances. Charles Bell, a former Helmsley bellhop, told the New York Times that Leona loved to make them all feel like dirt. She was not above making people beg for their jobs after firing them. In fact, she seemed to enjoy when they did. Many of her former employees said that the only time they felt they could relax was when Leona was exercising in the Park Lane Hotel's pool every morning from 6.30 until 7.30. During that time, everyone was free of her, except the pool staff, that is. She made it a point to humiliate them by requiring them to hand-feed her fresh seafood between her exercises. Her ice-cold reputation grew when her only child, Jay, died suddenly of a heart attack on March 31, 1982. He was 40. Shortly after Jay's funeral, Leona sent an eviction notice to her former daughter-in-law, who was still occupying the Helmsley-owned property. In addition to kicking her late son's grieving wife and four children out of their home, Leona sued for the right to Jay's estate, claiming it as repayment on money her son had borrowed from her. She won the case, and her former daughter-in-law was allegedly forced to pay her $146,092. Yet despite her menacing reputation, Leona gained control of 23 hotels between 1972 and 1989. The Helmsley properties were flourishing. It was all very strange to Harry who never anticipated his life would change so significantly upon marrying Leona. Before their marriage, Harry lived a relatively quiet life. He kept a low, respectable profile. The New Yorker said he went out of his way to avoid calling attention to himself. That was not Leona's style. She'd married into money, and she wanted to flaunt it. She demanded that Harry move them to the Central Park South neighborhood, where the average household net worth was over $1 million in the 1980s, about $3 million today. Leona and Harry took the penthouse in their Park Lane Hotel as their primary lodging. After moving in, Leona completely redecorated the multi-million dollar residence, furnishing it with the finest items she could buy. Leona's desire for extravagance once again goes back to her vanity and her need to find power through material possessions. This still wasn't enough for her. In 1983, she convinced Harry to purchase a historic mansion called Dunellen Hall in Greenwich, Connecticut. And this was where the Helmsley's legal troubles began. Leona planned to use the historic 21-room mansion as a weekend home where she and Harry could host parties outside the city. Harry purchased the estate for $11 million, and Leona immediately got to work on making it her dream home. Leona wanted to make everything about the estate glamorous. She outlined plans for a million-dollar dance floor above the swimming pool and a complete overhaul of the topiary. She also replaced most of the clocks in the home with custom-made silver clocks and ordered a custom mahogany card table that cost $210,000. In the end, the renovations cost over $8 million, the equivalent of over $20 million today. 
many of the renovations were written off their taxes as business expenses, despite the fact that this was a private residence, not a commercial property. Leona reportedly told one of the housekeepers that she didn't believe she and Harry had to pay taxes because, quote, only the little people pay taxes, end quote. This belief would not be shared by the Internal Revenue Service. The Helmsleys had hired dozens of contractors and private construction crews to work on the estate. However, when the time came to close out on their contracts, Leona and Harry repeatedly delayed the payments. In 1985, two years after construction began, one of the crews brought a lawsuit against the Helmsleys for non-payment. After that, the Helmsleys finally began to pay the workers. However, most of the money used to pay the contractors didn't come from the Helmsleys' personal assets. Instead, Leona was writing them off as business expenses across the books of their various hotel properties. She was also charging her own personal expenses to the business accounts, such as travel costs back and forth from New York to Connecticut. But to ensure those expenses could be charged as renovations, Leona needed the signature of Jeremiah McCarthy, the chief engineer of Harry's construction and development firm. When she approached McCarthy with the falsified invoices, he refused to sign them. His disobedience enraged Leona. She shouted at him, saying, quote, You don't tell me how to spend my money. You sign what you're told to sign, end quote. McCarthy refused and Leona fired him on the spot. McCarthy pleaded with Leona to be reasonable, stating that he had a wife and six children who were counting on him. Leona replied by suggesting he should have, quote, kept it in his pants if he was so concerned with money. By this time, people were starting to grow suspicious of Leona and Harry's dealings. Rumors were circulating about how Leona had funneled nearly $4 million from their hotels into the Dunellen Hall renovations. Still, Leona made it clear that any employee or private contractor who refused to accept her method of business would be immediately dismissed. In late 1985, Jeremiah McCarthy and several other frustrated construction heads retaliated. They took their accusations and the falsified invoices to the New York Post. The press was always eager to take a jab at Leona. They ran the story, accusing the Helmsleys of tax evasion and falsifying accounting documents. The article garnered quite a bit of attention and brought Leona's illegal actions to public light. But the Queen of Mean refused to be brought down. She did not even acknowledge the article at all and dismissed it as gossip. The more people rallied against her, the higher Leona thought of herself, a common characteristic of people with superiority complexes. Psychologist Alfred Adler described a superiority complex as a person's response to counter or conceal his or her feelings of inferiority. Adler wrote that people struggling with a superiority complex often, quote, confuse what they want to be or what they think they are with reality. Leona had crafted her self-image carefully. She thought of herself as royalty and everyone else as her subjects. She likely didn't see her tax fraud and abuse of employees as inappropriate, illegal behavior. It was just the way she conducted business. Harry, on the other hand, took the article a little more personally. As a self-made man, he hated the idea of people knowing he hadn't gotten to where he was in life, honestly. 
he decided he and Leona needed time away from the city until the situation cooled down. The Helmsleys decided to take an extended vacation in Barbados until everything blew over. Harry sold it to Leona as a quiet, romantic getaway. But the vacation would be short-lived. The New York Post article had caught the eye of United States Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Rudy Giuliani. Giuliani reached out to the IRS and began a formal investigation on the Helmsley's business. The investigation was incredibly easy. Giuliani later told Barbara Walters he was surprised at how many people were willing to speak out against Leona. He said the hatred for her was enormous. In April 1988, two and a half years after the New York Post article was published, Giuliani's investigation was concluded. He formally charged Leona and Harry with 188 counts, including tax evasion and extortion. The Helmsleys were forced to return to New York to face their legal troubles. At first, Leona seemed unfazed. She was confident her social status and connections would keep her out of trouble. Unfortunately, Leona was about to learn that there are some problems money can't solve. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back Wednesday to explore the trial that brought Leona Helmsley down. You can find more episodes of Female Criminals, as well as all of ParCast's other podcasts, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or your favorite podcast directory. Several of you have asked how to help us. If you enjoy the show, the best way to help us is to leave a five-star review. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at ParCast and Twitter at ParCast Network. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Carly Madden and Maggie Admire. Female Criminals is written by Jordan Giddens and stars Sammy Nye and Vanessa Richardson.